The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, it's Dudley. Good to be back with you again this month. Looking forward to our study together. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention to you, though, you need to know. Uh, we're having uh, the retold seminar out at the ranch at Tesoro Escondido. This is a fun weekend. It's all about the story. It's about the big story. It's about your story. It's about how those stories combine, how they uh, interconnect, and how you can live the very life of God. Uh, how to tell a story, how to listen to a story, how to see life as a story. And uh, we give you a lot, it's a lot of interactive, fun stuff where we practice telling stories, evaluating stories. So uh, you need to be there. And if you go ahead and like, well, I hope, hopefully all the rooms are not taken by now, but uh, it's for men and women and couples. Oftentimes we do so, so many things for men that, the ladies get upset and want to know, you know, when are you going to do something for us? Well, you're invited to retold. Some other things coming up for ladies. We have the Treasure Hunt Weekend in September, which is the ladies' uh, conference, and it's all about women and uh, what they're dealing with and sharing the life of Christ. And then the Beyond Happiness uh, Conference is our marriage. It's all about marriage and uh, what it means to, to live in union with Christ and live in union with each other. That's in October. So lots of stuff. You need to go on the website. In fact, you ought to just go and put the app on. You ought to just put the Kerygma Ventures app on your phone so you can look at any time. And, and let me say thanks to the, those of you who do send in uh, contributions, investments. We, we see them as investments. You're investing in the proclamation and the practice of the gospel that we preach. And we need your help. And I will make no bones about it. And so if, if you haven't given in a while, please do. And if you have, please accept my sincerest gratitude. Thank you so much for being a partner with us. Hey, uh, I was thinking about something that might go along with what we're talking about today. And some, some time ago, I did a, a series, a video and audio called Grace Applied, Walking in Ultimate Freedom. We talk a lot about freedom today, but oftentimes we think of freedom only in terms of being free from stuff. And you say, well, I'm not, I'm not bound up by anything. But freedom is, is a freedom to do stuff, freedom to be human, freedom to be human the way God created you to be human. It's, it's free to, to explore all that's involved in sharing the very life of God, the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of freedom there. You might want to get a hold of these and listen to them and watch them and use them for you and your family and your friends. Grace supply. Uh, grace applied. It is supplied, but this is grace applied. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to you this, this month about rejoicing. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Rejoicing with the Father. Let me set the, the theme, the thesis, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, the Father's heart is to celebrate the reclamation and the restoration of those who've been estranged. 
And those who share his life, those who share the life of the Father, celebrate what he celebrates. The only way you can have constant joy and rejoice in your life is to celebrate what God celebrates when God celebrates it. If your joy is dependent on what you have, it's very unstable because you can lose it. If it's dependent on what you do, it's unstable because you can do something to counteract it or to override it. If it's, if it's, if your joy is based on what others think of you, uh, one misstep and you've lost your reputation. If your joy is based on how well you're doing, like yourself, your righteousness, like, you know, I've, I used to have trouble, and but I've learned some principles and I'm following and I'm living a, a pretty moral, stable life now. And, and so I'm, I'm so glad I used to be a sinner and I used to mess up, but now I'm not messing up and I'm, I'm doing well. If that's your joy, that's really unstable because, as you know, that can fall apart real quickly. So the joy that defines a Christian, that distinguishes Christians from non-Christians, is, is a joy that only comes when you know how to rejoice with the Father. You rejoice over the same things the Father rejoices over. And there's a whole chapter in the book of Luke that talks about this. It includes the story of the prodigal son, the most popular of the stories there. But it's actually about three things that an owner loses and finds and then rejoices over. If you don't mind, instead of reading them to you, I want you to know where they are. I want you to read them. But in Luke 15, it says, there was a man, a shepherd, who had a hundred sheep. One of them gets lost. He leaves the 90 and 9 and goes and searches and with great risk to himself finds this sheep and brings it back. And then he says to all of his neighbors, come rejoice with me because I have found my sheep. And they all rejoice with him. They're not so focused on the sheep of how perfect or imperfect he is or whatever. They're focused on the fact that the owner has gotten back what he had lost. He has, it, it has been restored to him. So they're rejoicing with him. And then he says there was a woman who had 10 coins, golden coins, drachmas, pretty, pretty valuable coins. Maybe she wore them as a necklace around her neck and she had 10. She lost one. And so she goes to a lot of trouble. She gets a light. She, she gets a broom. She goes and she sweeps every square inch of the house, looking under every crevice, in every crevice of under every stone, I guess probably not stones in the house, under every, every piece of furniture, every rug. She's looking for this coin and finally she finds it. And then she calls all the neighbors and says, come rejoice with me. I have found the coin that was lost. And so they're not coming back looking at the coin. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, great coin, wonderful coin. Oh, no, they're rejoicing with her. She has found something she lost. And then Jesus tells this story. There was a man who had two sons. Now notice, one out of a hundred sheep 
one out of ten coins, one out of two boys, one out of two sons. He had two sons. The second, the youngest, said to his dad, give me that which is coming. I want to divide up the inheritance now, which is a disrespectful, dishonoring thing to do. He's basically saying, Dad, you know, your life's over and meaningless and means nothing to us. I want the inheritance. Well, he was not the oldest son, so he would only get a third. He would get a third. The older son would get two-thirds. And the father basically, you know, just gets to manage it while he's, while he's there. So the boy dishonors his dad, and the whole village knows about it, and he's ashamed to the whole bunch. And he goes off, and he, he thinks he knows best. He wants to live his own life, so he goes out and uh, does his own thing. Uh, to, and to no fault of him, a, a famine hit the land, and, and he was living kind of extravagantly anyway, and he went broke. He, he, he lost everything, and uh, nothing, none of his business ventures turned out, so he went broke, and he just tried to find a job. The only job he could find was working for Gentiles, uh, feeding pigs, which is like the lowest thing you could possibly do if you're a Jewish man who had any kind of dignity whatsoever. And not only did he have that job, but it didn't pay much. He was so hungry that he, he wanted to eat what the pigs had. And so he was in real trouble. So, so possibly, you know, he had a conversation with some of the, some of the other, some of the Gentiles there, and they're going, man, what are, what are you as a Jewish boy doing here feeding pigs? You know, don't you have a home somewhere? What are you doing here? So he probably told him about, yeah, I've got a dad and a brother back home. He's got got a nice place, and he has servants in his house. In fact, the servants eat better than I'm. They got plenty to eat. They got clothes and everything. And and uh, but I could never go back there because you see, I dishonored my father. And if I were to go back, I'd catch all kind of shame and guilt and condemnation. So. I could I could never go back. And they said, well, man, that's about your only option. And uh, so the scripture says he came to himself with or without those friends' conversation. I don't know. And he said, uh, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to make this little speech. I'm going to say it this way because this is the way you do it in my culture. I have, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight because my father, is a, he worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, it would be meaningful to him if I said I, I've sinned against your God, our God. So I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. And I'm no worthy, I know I'm not worthy to be a son, but I was just wondering if possibly I could sign on somewhere if you would give me a recommendation or whatever, I could be a servant. And that way I could survive. And so he's kind of got this little deal in his mind. When I was a young preacher, uh, you know, you look for the familiar passages in the Bible to preach from. It helps because people already know that. and It's easier to draw uh, principles, conclusions, lessons from those. So I, I had a couple of sermons on the prodigal son. And I remember saying uh, he, he started repenting in the, in the hog pen. I, I've since come to believe that I was wrong about that. I don't think he was repenting at all. He was broke, but he wasn't broken. He had nothing but, but his pride, but he was a dealer, you see? 
He was a wheeler dealer. He was, uh, he was in a transaction. He, he didn't understand the nature of his father at all or the nature of his own shame. So, so he, he's not repenting. He is coming up with a new approach, a new strategy, a new transaction he can make with the father. If I'll go do this, maybe he'll do this. Maybe I could offer him this little morsel and he would respond. You know, maybe he still has some compassion in his heart, though I've totally dishonored him and I, I can't demand anything and, and, and my inheritance is gone. I, I, but I'll go and appeal to something maybe within him that he would give me a job. And that way I could kind of earn my way back into making a little more money and I could maybe be a lead servant and be one of the head servants, even, possibly. But the point is, he was dealing. And you see, that's not repentance. That's just religion. That's, a, that's, that's the same religion that he had grown up with, the religion that he probably had misunderstood as a boy, that, that he misunderstood the covenant that God says, if you obey, you're blessed. And... and uh, he didn't feel blessed, and so he decided to disobey. So he went out in his in his own uh, in his own world. But but you see, all religion is is dealing. It's all transacting. It's all saying, I if I'll give God something, then maybe God will give me something. And so if I'll offer something that kind of fits his his terminology, fits his concepts then maybe he'll do something for me. So he basically was just practicing religion at a very practical survival level. And people ask me often, why, why do you talk about the gospel of grace so much? Why did you name the ministry Kerygma, which is the proclamation of the gospel? What's the big deal? What, why are you, what difference do you see in what you, the gospel that's prominent and the gospel that's, that's the New Testament? It's this. If you're trying to transact with God, if you think that anything you do moves God, if, if you think there's anything you have that you can give to God that would get God to give something to you, if you think you can in any way manipulate God or motivate God to, to act in your behalf by something you do, you're, you're dealing you're transacting. And the, and the problem with that, see, is that, is that God doesn't need anything. Therefore, you can't say to him as a trader, a dealer, I have something you need and you have something I need. Let's trade. He doesn't have anything you need. You think, well, he needs, he needs an obedient son. He's got one. Well, he, he needs servants. He's, he's got plenty. He's got angels plus lots of servants. Well, he, he, needs, uh, he, he needs a worshiper. He has, he has some. There's nothing you have that he needs. So you, you, you can't. You say, well, you know, he said if I'll be good, he'll be good to me. Well, have you been good? You got some goodness you can offer him? Well, even when you tried to do good, you did it with a selfish motive. So he's got plenty of goodness. 
He is good. He's the essence of good. God is good. And Jesus said that to a man who came and called him good master. He said, there's only one good, and that's God. God's got all the goodness he needs. So there's nothing you can give to God. So this boy was barking up the wrong tree. It's like, I'll, I'll go and offer dad a servant, you know, a cheap servant, a humble servant. He didn't need it. Especially does the father not need a son acting like a servant. You know, he, he just wants a restored son. That's what he delights in. That's what he values. He, he values a restored son. So, so that wasn't repentance. Now, he was broke and he, was, he, he, was, he needed to survive, so he, he started back home. So now we see the father. And father is really the star of this sto story, not the prodigal son. So we see the father. Now, in that culture, uh, it was an honor culture. Uh, saving face and showing honor was a big deal. The village that this boy had lived in with his father, they knew the custom. If that boy were to come home, he would legitimately be scorned, shamed, condemned. They'd throw rotten eggs at him, whatever, if he were to come home. Because he had done the worst thing he could possibly do. He had shamed his father. Do you know what happens? Listen carefully. This is important. The father says, I'll take his shame. So instead of the father waiting at the house the way a dignified father should, the father pulls up his robe so he can run, pulls him up above his knees, which is shameful, and he runs scandalously through the city, through the village, running out when he sees that speck on the horizon and it could be his son and he runs out and he, he, he runs out with a heart of accepting the boy and there's a robe in it and there's a ring and for his finger and there's shoes on his feet. He's barefooted. He's a servant. He's going to put son's shoes on him. He's going to put the ring, the signet ring on him that lets him, it's the credit card. You can bankrupt the father with it. <clears throat> and the robe, the best robe. What's the best robe was it? It was the father's robe. That was the best robe. So, so he had all of that. And so he's running out there with all this stuff. And, and, the, and the crowd is, their jaws drop. It's, it's scandalous. It's ridiculous. It's like, look at this dignified man acting shamefully, scandalously, lavishly, running toward his son. And the boy, true to his plan, started his little spiel. God, Father, I have again sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Please make me as you. It's almost like the father pays no attention to his spiel because he's not going to make the deal anyway. And the father goes, no, no, you're back home. You're back home. There's one thing I'm interested in. I want to celebrate your being home. You're my son. Here, here's the robe, my robe, righteous. When we walk through the city, they'll see that you, they'll see you as me. And they'll see that all of my dignity and all of my honor is on you. And, and, and you'll have my ring. And they'll see that you have the authority to make decisions in, in the family. And, and you have shoes on your feet. They'll know you're my son. And, and, and uh, 
that's what I'm interested. That's what's that's what tickles me. That's that's what that's what delights me. That's what I celebrate and that's what I rejoice over. And so the father took the shame of the boy. And the boy got the honor of the father. And they walked back. And, and so the father is basically saying to the to the villagers, you accept my definition of reality. My definition of reality is I'm interested in reclamation. I'm interested in restoration. I'm interested in reconciliation. I'm interested in my son being back with me. And so the crowd starts rejoicing with the father. It's not about the boy. They'd still pick up an egg and throw it at the boy. It's about the father. The father's happy. Well, let's all be happy then. Well, he's going to kill the fatted cat. Good. Yeah, we'll have a party. So they're all dancing and jumping around there, having a wonderful time celebrating with the father. Now there's a second boy. Well, he's out there working, doing what he's been doing. He hears all the commotion, comes in and asks one of the servants, what in the world is going on with all this? And they said, well, you know, your brother's back home and your father's throwing a party and he's celebrating. Come and celebrate. Everybody else is. And the boy goes, no, I am not celebrating that scandal, that scoundrel, because he's been out there wasting our money, our reputation, our honor on prostitutes and whatever. Now, he had no evidence that the, any of that was true. He just was, he was expressing the heart of a, a judgmental per, a person who judges on the basis of keeping laws and avoiding sin. We know that because he said, when the father came out, by, by the way, the father does another scandalous thing. He comes out to ask the boy to come in. The boy should have been in there. In that custom, the boy should have been in helping the father serve the guest. That's what the oldest son did. And uh, he wasn't in there. And the father came out to him. I can imagine the tongues wagging. Look at that. That father, look what he's doing. It's, it's too lavish. It's too extravagant. It's too scandalous. Yet the father goes out and said, hey, your brother's back. He was dead. He's alive again. Let's come on in. Let's celebrate. And the boy says, no, I'm not celebrating him. He deserves no celebration. He's done all these terrible things and makes the list. And yet you never, not only did you not kill the fatted calf for me, you wouldn't even kill a goat for me. And yet, I've kept your commandments and I have not sinned. I've not broken your laws. I deserve stuff that I'm not getting. He's getting stuff he doesn't deserve. I am not rejoicing. Now let me tell you something. If there's any of that in our heart, we can't rejoice. There are a lot of Christians who are not rejoicing. They're not enjoying God. They're not enjoying what God is enjoying. They're not enjoying celebrating. You know why? They focused on the people that God is restoring and they don't think they deserve it. And, and, and they're, it's like they, they haven't proven they've repented of anything. They haven't proven that they deserve this. This boy, hadn't, he didn't come home and go to work. He came home and had a party. 
There's no reason to believe that he's sincere. He's probably just playing daddy again. He's he's probably coming in, he's going to get on dad's good side, and then dad figure out some way to give him some other stuff he can waste. So I'm not going for that. I, I got to hold a, a, a good moral line here. And and after all, the issue is keeping keeping the law, keeping God's commands, and not sinning. So if, if you're focused on not sinning and keeping the commands, you got a deep case of religion that'll keep you from having any joy. You can enjoy grace. But let me tell you what God enjoys. He enjoys grace. He is the God of grace. He is the God who, who loves to restore that which has been broken. He loves to reclaim that which has been alienated. He, he loves to reconcile that which has been at war and bring peace. He loves it. He delights in it. It's what he's been doing all along. We, we would never know his nature except that he, the whole story of the Bible is about God's reclamation project. Created Adam and Eve, they sinned, they went away from God, and God began the whole story of history of bringing men back to being his sons. Humans, the way he created them to be, partners on the earth, subduing the earth in partnership with him, enjoying him as he enjoys himself, enjoying the son as the father enjoys the son, enjoying the father as the son enjoys the father, enjoying the spirit as the father and the son enjoy the spirit. That's, that's, what, he, that's what he wants. That's what he delights in. And so if, if you're having trouble maintaining your joy, let me recommend that you get a hold of the heart of the Father. And maybe you, you would go at it this way. Maybe you would say, Father, would you show me any self-righteousness in me? Uh, why is it that I don't rejoice when I see people who don't deserve things getting them or getting it? Uh, why can't I just rejoice with the Father who who's willing to risk, scandalously risk his honor in order to see a undeserving person loved unconditionally. What's wrong with me? Show that in you. Maybe you know someone that you're, that you're still waiting until they deserve your blessing. You're waiting until they deserve your forgiveness. And when they prove it, you will. Well, I can tell you what, in that area of your life, you have no joy because the Father has already forgiven. It's already been paid for through the Son. And, and, and by the way, if if you're still thinking that, you know, God the Father is mad with everybody and it was Jesus the Son who came and pacified him, no, no, no. It's God the Father in the person of the Son who took all the shame so you wouldn't have to take any. And yes, he has already forgiven you, and he's already forgiven them. So if he's forgiven, why don't you forgive them? Why, why don't you just make the choice to say, whatever God's forgiven, I forgive. You say, well, it's just not right. I mean, that person needs to pay. Well, why don't we just let God handle that? And why don't, why don't you join the Father in forgiving and rejoicing, celebrating over his expression of mercy and grace. You know what? Could be that you're the second son 
looking at you, the first son, and you won't forgive you. You're saying, I am not celebrating me because I don't trust me and I don't deserve it and I, I did do some terrible things and, and I'm going to hold me accountable until I prove that I can straighten my life out. Well, you're, you're two people in one. You're the second son criticizing the first son. But you're not full of joy. And if you understand that, yes, we're all broken. We're all broken in different places, but we're all broken. And none of us can make it without being unconditionally loved by God. And we're so grateful for a father who and never abandoned his son, though his son was alienated from him. And, and, and the father who's willing to take our shame. <clears throat> when we realize that's true about us, it, it'll be a little easier to forgive others. And so God has said to you, I forgive you. Glad to have you back. Well, how long do I need to be on probation? No probation. Here's your robe. Put it on. You're instantly in my righteousness. Here's your ring. You're instantly a part of a partnership of the business. Here's your shoes. You're instantly recognizing my son. No probation. You, you don't. You you'll have to take six months, a year, three years, whatever to to prove your your righteousness. You can never do it. it it's yours as a gift. I'll start treating you that way, and then you'll start, you'll find that you'll start living that way. You'll start rejoicing over what the Father rejoices, and therefore you won't be judgmental. You won't be judgmental toward yourself, toward others. You'll be forgiving, and pretty soon you find out whatever, what else the Father delights in. You start delighting in that. One day you look up, and you are keeping His commandments, and you're not breaking His laws. But it wasn't because you were thinking about them and that you set it as a goal. You, you hadn't even thought about His commandments recently. You hadn't even thought about it. The, uh, the laws and whatever. You've just been doing what the Father's doing, loving and, and tilling the garden and doing what needs to be done. And somebody else might look at you and go, you know, you're a really obedient child. And you go, really? I am, hadn't thought about it. I'm just enjoying the Father. So listen to me. When you come to have eternal life, when you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you have eternal life, the life that's given you is the life of God. It's his very life. It's the, it's the heart of a father who delights in celebrating giving grace. It's, it's the heart of Jesus who gave himself for you. It's the heart of the Spirit who wants God the Father and Jesus the Son to be real to you. You get the life. You get the same access to the Trinity that the Trinity has to himself. So this is eternal life, that you may know him and, and his son whom he has sent. So uh, my plea to you today is, is to rejoice. <laughs> Embrace the life of, of the Father. And whatever he is rejoicing in, you need to rejoice. And he rejoices in reclamation. He, enjoys in, he rejoices in forgiveness. He rejoices in reconciliation. So let me pray for you. Father, it is in the name of the Lord Jesus who came to earth to take our shame.
And I know you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. And so you took the shame. You took the shame of our dishonor, of our rebellion, of, of our going into a far country, of all of all the messes that we've made. You took the shame so that you could give us your honor. And so we thank you for that. And I pray for every person under the sound of this of this message that they would understand how much you love and how much you restore. And then let us rejoice in doing the same thing. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to be with you. It's good to be with you every month. Until next month, this is Dudley Hall with Great Adventures. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K E R Y G M. A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.